Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra fantastic, extra Final Fantasy episode of Final Fantasy X here on Normandy FM. Folks, we got a packed episode this time. We got guests and not not one singular guest like guest we usually world. have. We have guests. We did it. We brought in multiple people this time. <laughs> First off, of course, one of your co-hosts here, Eric Van Allen. Eric Van Allen. Oh my God, I'm so tired today. It was such a long day of Gamescom. Uh, alongside Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? Feel like can't stop dancing. Can't stop dancing. Not when will, over when will the you graves of dancing? people. Okay, was, <laughs> Ken, you're not supposed to be excited about the dancing. No, it's like he wants to know when she's going to stop dancing. Okay, yeah. And I can't stop. Not yet. Oh, one of our guests here today, Mike Williams. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's it's a good day. It's bright and sunny out, and I have a new job and a a new outlook on life. It's good to just chill. Kenneth Shepard tricked me into bringing more fanbite people onto this (laughs) podcast. I swear to God. I was so excited. Former USG, I was like, finally, one of my co-workers coming on the show. Nope. <laughs> the the number of fanbite people that have been on the show increased retroactively. It's it's ridiculous. It's terrible. The only thing that makes it better is Ash Paulson. Ash, how are you doing? I'm much better now that I'm on uh, this call recording with all of you fine folks. Thank you for having me. Heck yeah, we are glad to have you on the show. We've, like, when we were stacking up for, for Final Fantasy X... Uh, we were definitely looking for some new folks to get on here that we have not had on before. And once we saw your name come up, we were like, yes, yes, get Ash on here for awesome. sure. Awesome. Well, thank oh. you so much. I, I love FF10. I'm, I'm lo- I love talking about it. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Well, before we dive right into it, which is this is going to be our Killica episode going back over both the boat trip to and uh, arriving in Killica and everything that transpires once we get there. Uh, Mike, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and uh, how you got into Final Fantasy X, and also how you pronounce the name of the protagonist in this game. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I am a writer. I've written about games for just over a decade at this point, Uh, written and reviewed games, and uh, in terms of Final Fantasy particular, I had played a number of the Final Fantasy games prior, but I think FF10 was like in that era of FF games and that PlayStation uh, 2 onward was one of the few games that I actually just sat down and just beat completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of fell off of 8 and fell off of 9. And then uh, I I loved 12 again, but like it was 8, 9, and then 10. And I just sat down and I just tore through 10 altogether. So for me, I I was like, uh, it's it's been one of my favorites. Uh, And it's Titus. It's it's absolutely Titus. And and, and anyone who says Titus, (laughs) go, including Square Enix, go to the back of of the bus. We don't like you here anymore. (laughs) finally a titus defender and and when ken brought mike on to try and have some more fanbite support (laughs) stabbed directly in the back i love it (laughs) ash 
tell us a little bit about yourself and also your experiences with that FF10 and uh, how you pronounce the name of the protagonist. Sure, sure. Well, my uh, my name is Ash Paulson, and uh, I am a content creator slash producer slash editor, uh, PR guy, do a lot of different things, but mainly I am the uh, creator and co-founder of Good Vibes Gaming. Uh, I used to be with Game Explain, and then uh, me and a, and a couple other GX expats, uh, Derek and Steve, left to do our own thing and create our own brand and channel, which is Good Vibes Gaming. Um, yeah, you can find us on uh, YouTube.com slash GVG Official, so that's where I am. I'm also on, you know, active on Twitter and stuff. Uh, in terms of Final Fantasy X, so I got into the series uh, with FF6, and basically uh, just, you know, kind of fell in love since then. I, I got into it with FF6, went back and played 4, loved that. Uh, 5, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, really pretty much enjoyed them all. 8 is weird because it's kind of like playing a fever dream. It's like the video game version of, a, of experiencing mm-hmm. a fever dream. <laughs> but I still really liked it in, in its own way. Uh, and then FF10, uh, you know, came out uh, for the PS2, and I just I loved it as well. And it it currently stands as probably my favorite in the series. Uh, if not, it's definitely in my top three. But but like FF10, I would say is overall my favorite. Um, there are many reasons I love it. Um, but in terms of your final question, I am equally uh, as passionate about the fact that it is indeed Titus. The Titus game that, can yeah. go find something else to do i don't know i mean i can still be friends with you that's fine even if you're wrong we are we're all wrong at some point and that's fine but it is titus but not about this it is titus yep it is titus so mm-hmm. it yeah. sounds like we're split Retro down the middle actively <laughs> it sounds like we're split down right. the middle on titus right. versus it's, titus it's mm-hmm. retroactive it was a voice actors edition and square just went with it i don't mm-hmm. like it fair mm-hmm. enough fair i think i mean i think the whole titus thing only came only became a thing though really because of the game's theme of water right like and also people have seen the 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 name titus before but i feel like it's just the whole water aquatic theme of of ff10 is kind of why people assumed it was titus and that just doesn't sound as good to me because it's it's sounds better yeah Ah, yeah also like phonetically you look at like t-i-d that always makes either like a tie or like a t and you're not going to call him Titus. So <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we should. Um, I mean, but World Finally. of Final Fantasy doesn't lie, man. I mean, there are official in-game, you know, records of, yep, of characters saying. Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, and... Kingdom Hearts, World of FF. Yeah, yeah. I, for, I, I forget the first, like, they've commented on it. I forget the first game where they just said it. And I, I think it was the vo- it was up to the voice actor. And then after that, they were like, yeah, sure, that's it. Let's go with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is fine. I like. I'm sure they don't really care. Like, whatever. Uh, it, I didn't even realize that they didn't refer to him by name in any of these games until I was watching a video on this subject. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, wait. They never refer to him by name directly in the games at all. No, apparently not. Mm-hmm. I always forget weird. about it because, like, you assume that these characters, especially because this becomes a franchise, and the point we're at now with final fantasy they have like named characters that you play as but this being like the transition between them doing the old final fantasies where you just had text and now you have voice acting and you have all this production in it they like carried over everything but did not think about the whole oh but you can rename the protagonist part (laughs) that got carried over for some reason and obviously since like you can't rename prince noctis and you can't rename i don't think you can rename lightning right no. I don't I think, think so. I think I'm right on that. 
No, you cannot. Um, so yeah, it's they they learned their lesson with this one, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, uh, yeah, especially, and you can rename the summons too. Like I, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I will just replay this to get to this point to refresh myself, and you unlock Valfor, and I was like, it was like, okay, and what's Valfor's name? I was like, what? I I did not remember any of this. I'm like, you can rename. Why would you do that? I'm so not a fan rename of rename characters. Yeah, like I yeah. just can't do yeah. it. Sometimes, like when I replay a Zelda game for fun, but it's always on a replay for fun. I'll I'll rename Link, but like that first time through, it has to be Link. It has like funny Final Fantasy related anecdote. Really quick, uh, when I was playing FF8, my best friend and I at the time were playing it concurrently, and we were around the same uh, point of the game. And he would come over and play it at my house. I'd come over and play it at his house. But uh, inevitably, as things are want to do, he did uh, accidentally save over my file. And that was really, that was, that was crappy. It was unfortunate. He felt bad, you know, total mistake. So he's like, well, dude, we're basically both at the end of disc one. Let's just play it, you know, just, just start with my file. It's not that different. And I'm like, okay, I guess, you know, I'll at least, sh- I'll check it out. So I, I load up the game and he had named his squall Antonio. And I'm like, dude... <laughs> I'm not. I am starting over. How? What? No, I am not playing this game with my squall being named Antonio. It's not happening. And as it turns out, I had missed drawing Siren from the first boss anyway. So I was able to read. I just started from the beginning and did it all better anyway. But I'm like, no, I can't. It does. It's not right. I can't do it. But was was your friend named Antonio? His name was, was Anthony. Was... And okay, so okay. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it, it's fine. You oh, want to do that? that name That's cool. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, was this an homage to Antonio Banderas? No, that's or true. Something? I probably should have led with the fact that his name was Anthony. But uh, <laughs> and, you know, and he wanted to do that. That's fine. But I'm like, I am that. I'm like, like all you guys. I cannot. I, I cannot rename the main characters in, in a story based game. I just can't do it. It feels very strange, like a relic of an older time. Because yeah. I'll see like Chrono Trigger and stuff like that, and people will rename those characters. Or they'll they'll do it in GDQ where they rename all the party members. I'm just like so weird it's it's strange to me you think about like how bioware handled it where like you could name your character but the character was often referred to by other shit anyway so it never really Mm -hmm. mattered whereas like final fantasy 10 has to constantly be right writing all its dialogue around the fact that no one can say this game this character's name out loud right it's bizarre and i don't personally see it as a downside when you can't rename your character in an rpg i don't i don't see that as having control taken away from me or that doesn't bother me Mm. i'm completely fine with the fact that you can't rename lightning or noctis like Mm. i don't that never bothered me yeah and like it also just occurred to me like they're they're still doing it with like persona as well because like joker which i guess Mm -hmm. they they did kind of like find a way around that in persona 5 where like the the characters have code names but then like you know they start to put out this extra content like the anime and the manga and like suddenly he has like an official name that nobody knows about until like a year or so after but they just call him Joker, right? And all the the extra stuff, like when he got no, added to Smash, Mami. he was just well, well, no. But I mean, like when they refer to him in other games, like whenever I see people, like the Super Monkey Ball character was just getting hyped up, and people were like, "Oh, maybe it's going to be Joker." And every time I had to remind myself, not the Batman villain, the Persona <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that is the way around it is code names. But I also just don't think there's. Unless you're playing something like a Baldur's Gate or something like that, I don't know that I get much out of naming a character, especially when that character is already so established in other ways. Mm. Like if I don't have a, you don't have any customization options around like what 
what Tidus wears or what uh, Joker wears or anything like that. Like you're not really like changing much about them outside of what you equip them the same as you do any other party member. So it feels weird to have yeah, that be like a customization thing. Cause I'm, I'm playing Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous sort of in the mm-hmm. background now as well. And that's, that's a, like your character is referred to by in this similar Bioware manner by the, the, the spot that they're in as like the chosen one, just in whatever the terminology is in that world. Um, and, I'm fine with renaming that character because I'm really making that character from the ground up and like slotting them into that spot, similar to how Shepard and Baldur's Gate and some of those other things work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like Final Fantasy, it's just like that's it's cloud, it's squall, it's lightning, uh, it's whatever uh, Broody Mick Bruderson from Final <laughs> Fantasy 16 will be called. I, I, I'm sure they've <laughs> given his name out, but. I want to say uh, Chuck. Feel, Seems it, like it was, Chuck. <laughs> I feel like they they released his name. Maybe not. I, I feel like it was some really regular name, like Elliot or something. I can't remember off the. Mm. Yeah, I, I think they released the the name of like the first three people. I just do not. Clive. 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 <laughs> okay. Name yeah. is Clive. Elliot. Clive. Same difference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that all right. Was all right. I take it. I take it all back. Um, I'm gonna need to be able to rename Clive to something else. <laughs> Sounds like a Resident Evil protagonist, that's Clive such, Rossfield. Yeah, so not a Final <laughs> Fantasy protag name. Jeez. Sounds like the, like he should have his name announced like he's getting locked in in Tekken, like, Clive. <laughs> yeah, it does. Oh, man. Okay, let's talk about Final Fantasy X. Um, so as we start here in Kiliko, we have just set sail from Besaide, setting off on our pilgrimage. Uh, well, Yuna's at least setting off on the pilgrimage. We are just going to Luka to play some Blitzball and stopping off at Kiliko on the way there. Uh Titus, Titus, fuck off. To, to do. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a whole thing throughout the. Is already getting up to. I promised Ken that I would try to pronounce it the way that he wants it pronounced for oh, as long as I could in the podcast. Wants it pronounced. Yes, I, I, I would cede this to him in order look, to maintain the podcast stability. Look, I, I will say I will refer to him as Titus, but I will also not say anything when you refer to him as Titus. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair. This is a good compliment. Yeah, Titus is uh is being obnoxious. This this is one of the weirder scenes. I think early on they're just trying to establish that he's, you know, a a guy like a, a pretty young guy who's just still up to all kinds of hijinks, uh, grabbing binoculars from a dude flipping around everywhere, eyeing up Lulu with said binoculars, um. He's got some real like Paul brother energy early on in this game. Like, yeah. like he should be doing TikTok. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like where they go with Titus over the course of the game, and I understand that it's necessary to the growth of his character that they have such a disparity between who he is at the beginning and who he is by the time we catch up to, to Xanarkand and the sort of like intro that they give us. But at the same time, I'm just like, Oh boy. Yeah. He really was like this at the beginning. Wasn't he? He, he was kind of insufferable early on. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he really was, but that actually, I mean, that's 
so key to his character, which you already touched on. It's like you don't get to where Titus is at the end of the game without where he was at the beginning. And he is obnoxious, mm. but I actually count mm. myself among what I feel like is a fairly small exclusive group of Titus fans. I like the character mm. because I mm-hmm. like his growth and I like the journey he goes on uh, personally, you know, interpersonally. And so obviously we're not talking about the stuff at the end because this is about Kilika, but I like the character because of that journey. That's so key to mm. what makes him interesting and appealing in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, because he is from the time that he is pulled from Xanarkin, like a early 20 something sports star, mm-hmm. like 100%. He's like, you know, NCAA player or, or, or higher, uh, with all that entails. Um, and, and it's like essentially that they, they, uh, brought like Rui Nakamura over to, uh, that's a, a basketball player just mm-hmm. for anyone who does not follow sports. If they just brought him <laughs> over you. to a fantasy world, um, like that is the kind of character that we have here. Um, and I, and I, I do kind of like that growth. Uh, it's it's isekai, but both sides of it are fantasy. Um, and and he's a little bit of a, a young shit to be mm-hmm. to be sure. <laughs> um, but I also have to be like Lulu. What are you wearing? And jumping back into this, I'm just like I was like I remembered the design, but I'm looking at it again, and I'm just like it's. What are you wearing? It defies it's, logic. It, like there's no there's no pull of gravity on. There's that no dress. way that stays. There's no way it stays up like that. The bottom of it is just belts. It's all belts. Yeah, <laughs> nothing but belts. Uh, uh, like it's fine. I understand. Show off your feminine wiles. Dress how you want. I just don't understand how that outfit works. Uh, yeah, it's all good. We're not questioning <laughs> whether she should wear it. It's more like, how does it function as clothing? <laughs> how does it stay on? Yeah. yeah. Like, um, it, it, the, the, a similar design, but one that works is pain from X2. Yeah. Like, yes. there are actual straps there to hold it up. <laughs> right. Uh, whereas Lulu, I, I just... Whatever. It's I'm fun. now like a current, like what are the logistics of cosplaying her? Like how do people make it work in a real world scenario where gravity matters? <laughs> That's I mean it's a great question. If you are a Lulu cosplayer and you are listening to this podcast, please write in normdfm at gmail dot com. Oh, we would like to hear from you <laughs> because good lord, uh, the the belts too have got to just be tugging at the bottom of that dress the whole time. Like uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what's going on with gravity and Spira. First, the Another water I, is I, weird I, and breathable, but I will say that makes Titus insufferable. And again, I like there's memory, and then coming back to playing the game with the remastered edition. I don't know if it's an aside for how they cleaned up the audio. He just sounds really annoying. Like his <laughs> voice is annoying. He's uh-huh. he's like nasally early on in a way that he's not in some of the later narration and stuff. And we talked about this on the podcast in previous weeks too, but like the the Titus in the narration is clearly like intended to be tonally different from the mm. Titus that we're seeing early on here. Because, you know, in the narration he's very much like somber and like we didn't know it then, but things were going to get so much worse and stuff like that. And then you go to the actual game and he's like, hi guys, I play Blitzball. And yeah. you're like, oh boy. 
Yeah, the tone of his voice definitely changes and deepens, you know, over the course of the game as he sees more and more shit. And I, that's part of what is appealing to me about him. You like, he even sounds different. Um, yeah. You know, he's yeah. gone. He's gone from this wide-eyed, bushy-tailed. You know, everyone loves me. I'm a sports star. To you know, <laughs> seeing some real, real-ass shit throughout the course of the game, and uh, you know, that's reflected in, in in the tenor of his voice. And I think that's a really nice, nice detail. Mm-hmm. When it yep. comes to Titus, for sure. Yeah, um, and I think this this segment in Kilika is is kind of where we start to see Titus have to like deal with realities that he might not have had to face previous. And I'm I'm looking forward to getting to some of that. But um, as we're here on the ship on the way to Kilika, um, Yuna is immediately getting hounded by a crowd, uh, and we we kind of get the lowdown on her parentage uh from waka waka is like hey you know she's lord Braska's daughter uh lord Braska was the summoner who 10 years prior to the events of final fantasy 10 uh had defeated sin and and got them the calm that they've had thus far so that makes yuna a little bit of royalty and also means that she's kind of living in the in a very large shadow as as titus mm. notices um and so that's that's a little plot point for us to look at. Um, we can also meet Owaka at this part of the game, by the way. Uh, I always oh, forgot Waka. about Owaka. Yeah. <laughs> I. So this might be like a heavy mechanical aside, but I looked it up because I was like, you know, how much money am I supposed to give Owaka early in the game and how does it work out? And a lot of people online were saying that there's literally very little point to give money to Owaka because most of the stuff he sells is not worth it. And there's like much better stuff to buy later on in the game anyways. So Owaka ends up not being very useful (laughs) in the scheme of things, but I still give him Gil here because you know, he's a, he's a small businessman. You got to support the small businesses. in (laughs) Um, Also at this point, I didn't need as much money. So I was just like, whatever. Yeah. Cause uh, they're, like the only thing I needed at this point were potions, and there's the case that mm-hmm. just gives you potions if you keep kicking it. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, "Yeah, just have all my money, man. I don't really care." <laughs> right, right, right. I think um, the, the the plot point of of you know Titus kind of relating to Yuna because of her you know of her and their f- famous fathers is maybe one of the reasons I always really like Titus because that's actually something mm-hmm. I can relate to. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I I have you know, kind of grown up with a famous father as well. And that, that while I love my dad to death and, and it's worked out great, we promote each other. He's, you know, I love, I love him. He's proud of me growing up. It was very difficult being in his shadow. You know, he casts the, you know, he casts a pretty long shadow for anyone listening. Who's unaware. My dad is like the voice of Yakko on Animaniacs and Pinky on Pinky and the Brain, two of the mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles, you know, really big deal characters. And that was always a challenge for me both good you know it was a good thing but also a challenge and uh you know so growing up in the shadow of a very famous father is something i was able to relate to with titus and i think that may inform why i'm part of why i'm a fan of the character as well mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's as they finally you know as the blitzball players disperse and and titus and you know actually get to talking like i feel like the connection they sell early on in this game is very genuine because it comes from both of them having despite living, you know, like in very different places, having similar pressures like thrust onto them. Um, 
and then it obviously all gets twisted up once uh yuna reveals why she so readily believes uh titus when he talks about xanarkand and coming from xanarkand and playing blitzball in xanarkand is because uh there was a guardian of her father's named jekt who said he also played blitzball in xanarkand uh and and titus obviously is like no it was my my dad disappeared 10 years ago he died he's gone and yuna's like that lines up exactly with when Jekt showed up to, mm-hmm. to Spira. It's got to be the same person. Um, and I think this is like kind of the interesting wrinkle here is at first. And, and even here when I was replaying it, you know, it kind of seems very set up for these two to gel very easily and to mm-hmm. get along very easily. And then of course the shadow of Titus's father comes looming in and you know's like oh Jack's great I love Jack he taught me so much about Blitzball mm-hmm. and he was so nice <laughs> and Titus is just like are you fucking kidding yeah. me like, yeah <laughs> oh his his, it his is daddy like, issues chase him everywhere it yeah. is nice that I have like this character that is so like 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 I said last episode like so willing to just like hear Titus out when everyone else is telling him that he's crazy and like None of the mm-hmm. stuff like that he's hallucinating from Sen's toxin, where she's like willing to hear, like, and and it's through that being willing to hear him out that like the game starts to acknowledge like the reality that of like what actually might have happened to Jekt and what Titus is actually going through, and it's kind of like you know the icebreaker for that conversation to finally start happening. Yeah, yeah, like they they finally get to be able to talk about this a little bit and and discuss it, but then as with all good things in this game, Sin interjects. <laughs> and, and here comes uh oh interjects uh, uh but sin, <laughs> i wasn't gonna say anything um but here comes here comes sin popping up and and uh causing all kinds of problems uh so yeah this is we we talked last week a little bit about how final fantasy 10 does this sometimes but like the the weird way that it will cut between in-engine cutscenes and these really high-rendered, fancy cutscenes. This is maybe the part of the game where that is most apparent. Where I swear there are about like five different shots in this one section where you're cutting between them on the ship and you know, kind of careening around and almost falling overboard and stuff, and then cutting back to Sin. And now there's this giant, you know, super high CGI rendered fin sticking out of this the ocean. And it's it's weird to see like nowadays when we're so used to having something like Final Fantasy VII Remake that is so smooth between the transitions of cutscene and gameplay that mm. oh right, this used to be a very clear divide and this is like a relic of when they were trying to navigate that and bridge the gap between the two. Right, so um, they had different like cinematic aspirations and what the game's engine could handle, and so they just mm-hmm. kept, like there is like like I said last time this like patchwork almost is like putting together scenes from different sources to make the actual story that they want to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 CG uh, Titus just looks weird too. Like his yeah. his face is just too smooth. <laughs> uh, his hair isn't quite right. Um, and and I mean that's a throwback to the the fact that you know back in the day one of them looked far quote unquote better, uh, mm. but now that we're we're to the HD level, like, and and we've seen this character redone and you know like other games and like mm. Dissidia and stuff like that. So 
uh, we can see what the the original model looks sort of scaled up. So the CG one just looks real weird mm. um, in a way that not everyone does. Um, yeah, comparatively, it's mm-hmm. it's 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 just something about him. I don't I don't know. I don't think he looks I, bad, uh, but he, I I definitely know what you mean. Like he he, he looks different. He looks softer in a way i guess mm-hmm. and yeah. and, and yeah. i don't think it's a it's a bad design i like I, I don't dislike the way he looks in the you know in the fmvs but i i would agree with you that there is a more of a marked difference uh for him relative to the other characters i feel like riku mm-hmm. might come come close riku also yeah always looked oh yeah very riku looks me. very different in pretty yeah. much every appearance that she makes in this game yeah. <laughs> like, even <laughs> Early on, with the weird like Evangelion bodysuit that she has at the beginning of the game and right. stuff like that. Um, I feel like yeah. that's something they even got a little bit passed by Ten Two because like there's a less less of a disparity I think between those character models and how they look in the actual like CG cutscenes for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but here we get to have a nice little boss fight with a giant fin because the sailors decide that they're going to harpoon. Sin, because they're like, we've got to distract it. You know, it's it's heading towards our home. Our families are in Kilika, and it's kind of at this point where it's like the ship will probably go down if they try to do this, but they have to try. And Yuna's just like, it's all good. Which I'm still kind of like, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, I get that they want to save their families, but I I I felt like the the establishment of this game early on is very much like the summoner is the big thing. Like we need the summoners to create the peace to save us from sin uh, and, and give us these moments of, of calm. And this was one moment where, where they're like, Oh, we got to stop sin by harpooning this ship. And I'm thinking like that could like tear the ship in half and kill everybody here. And they're just like, nah, don't worry that a summoners on board, whatever we got to, get the fish <laughs> and, and then know. the thing just pops off yeah like the little the 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 uh anchor for the thing just pops right off it mm-hmm. not even it doesn't even take a ton of shit with it it just it's just like boom. Mm-hmm. yeah it never did seem like the smartest plan to me i i always felt even at the time i was like that seems a bit reckless considering you know they've got you know yuna on board right. a summoner on board that just seems like yeah. something maybe they shouldn't try doing I do think this fight with Sin is real goofy in a fun way, though, because, you know, early on, it's very clear that there's like a strategy. And once again, the game is kind of trying to teach you things about here's a a fight where you have a distant enemy. So only some characters can hit characters that are that far away. Mm -hmm. And so you need to bring in like Lulu and Waka, which I like that Waka gets gets a shout out there because for some reason he can just chuck that blitz ball for miles and it will always come right back to him and it will make an impact and stuff you know good job waka i don't know why you're so bad at blitz ball <laughs> clearly you are a murderer with it <laughs> right this this dude can kill monsters with a blitz ball but he has trouble winning a recreational activity using the same <laughs> item. I don't understand. I, I think it. it's I think it's the the Superman and football thing. Like he he's having to hold back so much that he he doesn't know how to play. Like if he just let go, like he would throw the ball and people would die. But he can't do that, so he has to hold back and he can't aim as well as he could if he was fighting. It's, it's one of those moments. 
I like that explanation. I think that's Yeah. <laughs> Waka's like rearing up to throw a blitz ball toss and then realizes it would probably like kill the three people in front of him. So he like <laughs> just kind of uh, <laughs> tosses it out. Yeah. Oh. Um, uh, I will say on this fight, there's a good sense of scale mm-hmm. with the Sin Fin. We'll say it's a Fin. Uh, moving back and forth, uh, like around the outside of the ship. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sure back in the day that was probably a very big swing. Right. Uh, it still looks good. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, why not? Let's go. Honestly, a lot of the boss fights in this game, like throughout the entire course of the game, are still really impressive. In in some cases, where it's like they were really trying to create you know, like you said, a larger sense of scale and also the idea of these bosses having their own mechanics and having right. their own, like very specific fights and very specific strategies. And like every boss, I I think outside of one that we fight in this area, um, it doesn't really feel like any of the bosses are just large monsters. You right. know, they're very specific enemies that you've got to deal with in their own way. I guess not all smoke and mirrors. There's actually like a right. intent with everything that they do and how they showcase these things. Which is really impressive considering how many boss fights there are in this game. Because yep. <laughs> there's also a lot of them. Um, but so we, we just kind of hit Sin until it gives up and just takes off and leaves. Um... And, and, you know, it seems like it's going to be okay uh, until Titus falls into the water. And so now we have to do a little underwater fight as well because Square Enix was like, or I guess what, Squaresoft by, at this, this point, This was Squaresoft right? at this point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Squaresoft by ten, by was By 10-2, like, they were Enix. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, Squaresoft was like, we can't have, can't pass up the opportunity for an underwater battle can't throw that away it's it's core to this game uh and so we get the the octopus fight which is again you know it's i the the way i feel about all the underwater battles in this game is that they felt very like they were still cool and they had cool designs they had very unique designs like one later in the game i think is actually one of the most memorable boss fights in the game just for like if you know the trick to it, it's a fun little thing that you can do. And I like boss fights that are like that, but I think the ones, especially early on are very one note. Cause you don't have a lot of tools at mm. your disposal. You're just kind of hitting it until you win. Um, and I like some of the later ones where the mechanics start to feel a little bit more involved. So this, this was a fine fight, but I never really felt in danger or like I could lose or anything like that. Right. I do I do like how later on though, like underwater fights are their own thing in the sense that the, mm. the game is consistent about which characters can participate in them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it, it it wouldn't make sense that Yuna could fight underwater as really at all, but especially as well as Titus or Riku or Waka. So, mm. I just mm-hmm. I like that the game is consistent along those lines. And it's like, no, you can't use whoever you want. You have to use the characters who canonically are are, you know, adept in the water. Mm. Lulu can't go in the water because all those buckles would just drag her down to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if she casts thunder, it's over. <laughs> it's, it's done. Um, yeah. So uh, we, we beat the octopus and, and get back on board and everything's all right. Uh, and then we jump ahead and we see sin absolutely annihilate Kilika in 
maybe like as a young child playing this game was one of the most haunting cutscenes mm. I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Because you just you just watch people die and like you watch them like just coming to terms with the fact that they're going to die and you see this whole town just ripped apart and the way the blitz ball just kind of like lazily drifts in at the end and stuff. It is haunting to mm-hmm. this day. <laughs> like, Oh, I, I, and, I don't know. And then you have to deal with the sort of aftermath uh, mm-hmm. of which the next, like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes is all like aftermath of this situation because like in Bassed, you saw what, what one of these towns looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, in its sort of idyllic, like everything's fine moment. And then here you get to see the same sort of town, but destroyed and all the people are crying. And some of them are, are staring out into space because of venom and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and then it leads to uh, probably one of the more famous cutscenes, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all like, this whole section about loss right yeah very early on mm-hmm. yeah i had, had like even coming into this game i had it's almost like i'd forgotten what kilika looks like after like in the aftermath because like my image of kilika is very much what it looks like in Ten Two when you know time has passed and it's been rebuilt and like you know that sort of uh that 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 place is trying to figure out like what it means to be back after sin's supposedly gone so i'd mm-hmm. almost like kind of wipe this part um uh, like as we're going through, like we the, the Auroch scout and they start like trying to help people like rebuild like bridges and stuff, and I just like almost completely erase that from my brain. Yeah, I yeah, I, I remember that this really hitting me the first time. I not only the first time I saw it when I first played the game, but also upon replay in the HD remaster and such. I remember just thinking, you know, I mean, other Final Fantasy games and SquareSoft slash Square Enix games have dealt with loss, but but Final Fantasy sometimes, sometimes, not always, but sometimes tend to stray away from really, really, really taking on loss in a real, right, just hardcore way. And, and the way this cutscene happens, where where you see this whole village destroyed, you see these people killed. Even the the I think it's the blitz ball that you see rolling onto the screen. Like that's that's implying that children have been killed too. It's in, mm-hmm. of course they have. But the fact that the game is so soberingly real about showing you exactly what the stakes are, exactly mm. what happens when sin appears and attacks. It's not. It suddenly makes it very personal. It's not like there's this. You know, like maybe let's consider uh, compare it to FF7. Sephiroth is always this enigmatic figure who's doing stuff off screen. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. impaling the Midgard Zolom. Yeah, you know, he's he's getting up to stuff in, in Nibelheim. But it's usually stuff that's off screen. Not always, but usually. So it makes it hard for, you know, to, at least for me, to connect with him as a threatening villain through much of FF7, even though FF7's, you know, great. I love it. But when Sin attacks Kilika, it's like, oh, oh. And, and it's in the opening hours of the game, too. You're still in the early game, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. I see what the stakes are. This is a this is a villain who is going to kill people in untold numbers if left unchecked. And I think that's a really effective uh, storytelling. It's just it's really effective storytelling. It shows you straight up, and it doesn't shy away from the the, the dark, uh, mm. the, the, from the darkness and the dark aspect of what exactly sin is capable of. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up seven because the thing I kept thinking about as I was playing this section for the show was 
the way that they expanded on the beginning of FF7 with FF7 Remake and specifically like how that all builds up to I think a bigger emotional gut punch when they drop the plate and and all that calamity right. starts to happen and I'm not saying that like they learned to do that from Final Fantasy X but I do think it shows how Square has grown over the years in creating these emotional ties to tie into the grander epics that's not just about like hero versus villain mm-hmm. and the epic battle between good and evil but it's also like real people living in real spaces that are affected by the things that are happening around you. And the more games can lean into that and create these spaces that can feel like Killica still feels lived in, in a way, like as you explore this town, you're seeing how people are trying to still live in this area, despite the fact that it has been absolutely ravaged by, by sin. Mm. And I think some of the interesting stuff here is like how you learn from people as, as you can go around and talk to them about like, yeah, you know, we live out on the water because we can't live too far inland. Cause there's like fiends and stuff everywhere. You can't live there, but living on the water like that is what put them in danger of being so easily demolished by sin in the first place. They're just stuck between a rock and a hard place. And honestly, that's where a lot of civilizations and, and like societies in Final Fantasy X are stuck is they are trying to live in a world that is so openly hostile to them at all times. Mm. And uh, they established so much of that so well here early on. And I think that all culminates in Yuna doing the sending and what is like, you know, Ken, you wrote it here and I completely agree with it. Like an iconic scene Mm -hmm. of Final Fantasy X. Like one that's still fucking stunning twenty years later, I gotta say. Like absolutely I got I got choked up like just as bad uh replaying this time. Yeah, same. I I still do. When I see it, I'm I still get goosebumps and I still I feel the the overt somberness in the scene and and it gets it tugs at my heartstrings. It gets me emotional because it's like yeah, you see, you see the villagers. Uh, a couple of them, one of them falls to their knees, weeping mm-hmm. for their loved ones. It's really heavy stuff. It's like genuinely heavy stuff. And but it's but it's played in a in a mature way. It it doesn't feel like it's ever played for shock value, right? It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. it's there. It, it's making a statement and it's making an impact, but it's doing so in a somber, uh, tasteful way and not trying to be played for shock value. And I think it's, I mean, you said it's it's an iconic scene, and it is, it's so iconic that it's the game's logo. I mean, that yeah. tells you everything. Yep. And I, I, yeah, I just, all the themes that FF10 plays with and, and you they really come through in this scene in particular uh, really speak to why I love this game so much. It has a mm. certain weight to it and a certain somberness to it that I feel uh, doesn't necessarily apply to a lot of other Final Fantasy games. And that's, Mm. they don't have to all be somber, that's fine, but there's just a certain maturity, I guess, in the storytelling that that is specific Mm. to FF10 for me, and I just, I really love that about it. Right, I think it also works, like, because it's also played very matter-of-factly, because, like, T just has no fucking idea what ascending is, he doesn't know, like, what, like, and Lulu, like, just kind of, like, straight-faced tells him what's going on, and all this, like, otherworldly stuff is happening around us, and I think they that's one of the things where it's kind of, like, putting you in the perspective of a character who knows fuck all about this world and is just kind of having to go with emotions, like, to see something that has so much, like, unspoken meaning to all these people around you while you just kind of have to, like, 
accept it and like take it all in all at once without anyone really giving you like a full-blown explanation it's like what what is the far plane what are what are these fireflies and Mm -hmm. lulu just kind of gives you like you know the textbook explanation of it but she's not like she doesn't care enough at this point like she has no connection to this at this point she's actually kind of not so nice to him the majority of this uh early game and so like she just tells you what it is very matter-of-factly and then you just kind of have to watch it all unfold Right. Yeah, no, this is a, a great cutscene with the sending uh, oh. that I alluded to before. It's very uh, Shinto-ish yeah, uh, yeah. in terms of the, the, the dance and, and what she does here. Uh, and combined with the feeling of loss, it like really sells like, oh, okay, so like if she doesn't do this, if people and, and people like her are very rare if she doesn't do this then like ghosts are everywhere people turn into fiends and that is very bad because you're already seeing that all the time uh so it's kind of a like catharsis moment for the people involved that aren't titus and also seeing like why she's so important Mm -hmm. to this world yeah i i I think an extra like point to add on here too is is you know as Ken mentioned, a lot of supernatural stuff is happening here, and so I think when we've got so much stuff that is really going unexplained or at least underexplained for this part of the story, like you know she's literally dancing on top of water, and there are spirits <laughs> rising into the air, and the flames turn blue and stuff. The most we have to latch onto is like the raw emotion of the mm. scene, like the most connectable emotions, and like. I think a big one here um, is that even though we get like the explanation for, uh, you know, just we don't want them to turn into monsters, that would obviously be pretty bad. But they also like emphasize that like it preys on the living and it's not just like, you know, monsters preying on the living, but like the feeling that their their loved ones have not been given a proper death you know, a proper passing. And as, as somebody who's like literally right. dealing with a passing in the family right now, like these rituals that people do around death are not just for the dead. They are also for the living They are for them to find their own peace with what has happened. And so like this whole service, this whole ritual is not just about, you know, sending the spirits on, but it's giving these people that moment to grieve and come to terms with what has happened and, and find if not, immediate peace than some like foundation that they can build towards that. And I think that's really cool. And it it, like segues into this whole idea of like, um, you know, after, after it kind of dies down and um, Titus is talking about how tough it must be to be a summoner and do stuff like this. Lulu's like, you knows what she signed up for. (laughs) Like, um, yeah. And all we can do is just get her to the end and and uh get her to where she can defeat sin um and i i like the little moment between lulu and you know where lulu is like hey you know try not to cry next time no more tears next time um it's just all a very like raw human moment like capped off with tita saying like i hope there isn't a next time i never want to see that dance again like it is yeah surprisingly raw moment for honestly like we're not that far into this game yet right (laughs) we are still fairly early on in this game and it's already really like gut punching you with the realities of what this world is like and what the struggles of of everyone who lives there what it means to live in spira and oof 
Yeah. <laughs> it hits. I was going to mention that line by Titus where he says he never wants to see that dance again. And a lot mm-hmm. of his, a lot has been said about FF10 about one of the ways it excels in its storytelling is that kind of stranger in a strange land element where you're seeing mm-hmm. Spira through the eyes of Titus, someone who has no idea where he is. He's been plucked out of everywhere and everything he knows into this completely foreign world. And you you get that sense through through Titus's reaction to this scene where not only in that line, but there's a great camera shot in during the sending scene where you just see Titus's face and he has this really somber look on his face. He's mm-hmm. like, what am I looking at? This is this is awful. And mm-hmm. that's such a huge contrast from the happy-go-lucky sports star, yeah, guy he is a few hours before that. And you, so you can really get a sense how much this is deeply affecting him. And I, I just, I love that element of this scene. And I also think that we would be remiss, especially because it's a Final Fantasy game, but also because I personally am a huge fan of video game music. We have oh, to talk God, about yeah. the Hymn of the Faith, the solemn rendition yeah. of the Hymn of the Faith that's mm-hmm. so gorgeously punctuates this scene and mm. it just it, it it drives the whole thing home like if the stake is already almost at your heart it's the hymn of the faith that really drives it through uh as mm. you watch this scene and it's just it's it's beautiful but it's beautiful in a, in a really sad dark way yeah it's also the first time we've heard it with um any sort of instrumentation because it's like every mm-hmm. time we've heard it before this point it's been either a soloist uh singing acapella or a choir and um, right. I do, I do feel like the actual instrumentation does elevate it, like make makes that the fact that it is playing here feel even more significant than it is because like we're gonna get to the temple later and it's gonna be there again and mm-hmm. they got to do things to like make it feel different and uh, meaningful each time and I think this was definitely like one of the best examples of that. Totally. God, the way they use motifs like over and over again in this game to like drive yeah. different points home or to like mm-hmm. compel certain character points forward or just to like set the mood for different scenes and like get you into an emotional place, you know, where they want you to be for the emotions of a certain scene. Um, it's, it, it's just always so good. Like the soundtrack, I, I like this game a lot and it's, you know, it, it is probably my favorite final fantasy, but, uh, a major part of that, like a major component is the soundtrack. It mm-hmm. just, it, it always hits just right. It really does. Uh, oh, so after a night like that, <laughs> we wake up in the inn and everybody's taken off already. Um, we meet up with Waka and the Oryx who are still helping rebuild as best they can, but they're going to take off for the temple to go pray for victory. And Yuna also needs to go to the temple in order to pray for the next summon that she needs as part of her pilgrimage. Um, you know, Titus kind of brings up like, is this really the time to be doing something like praying for victory in a blitzball game like who cares about blitzball right now and waka is like hey look blitzball like was made for times like right now people need that distraction they need something in their life that they can be looking forward to and hoping for and getting excited about because that's what makes getting through this stuff a little bit easier um and yeah it's yeah that's a good one that it's such a like in titus's time it was definitely just a sport Mm -hmm. but by the time you get to uh waka's time and all that like it's weird how blitzball is so tied into their religious culture 
Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that in this part, when you you later get to the temple there, the rival team is coming out, having mm-hmm. having done their uh, you know religious service and whatnot. Um, right. And it's very it's it's very weird and very intriguing. Like mm. sports as a an observation of religious faith. Right. That's a good point. And and I and I, I love how well they sell the the difference in in tone and in, in reaction to like someone like Titus who's ostensibly he just has none of this religious background doesn't seem like a very religious person in general none of this means anything to him and as some he's completely mystified by it it's not as though he even really tries to understand it at first he's completely mystified and as someone who's not you know really religious myself in my own life. I can identify with that. Like that that's a, a lot of that is very confusing to me, but then you have someone like Waka who is just the game does such a good job of selling him as this hardline religious faithful you know blitzball player who who really it's does The Tim believe. Tebow of blitzball. Yeah, I mean he really <laughs> believes in all the doctrine and it 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 creates a really interesting dichotomy between Titus and Waka on top of the fact that you know Waka has kind of emerged as this kind of older brother figure. To Titus, mm. even though their their personalities really could not be more divergent in that sense. Right. Is Final Fantasy X what Space Jam Two should have been? <laughs> <laughs> should have been LeBron James. Like, what's happening? Here? Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna play this Blitz Ball with Bugs Bunny. <laughs> um, God. Uh, so yeah, we we head up into a jungle type area which is like a mini i hesitate to even call it like a dungeon because it's kind of just a path with some side paths um but once once we get there uh yuna is already insisting that titus should be a guardian um which is you know it's an escalation let's say (laughs) let's that's pretty fast but uh waka points out that Titus has not really like fought a lot yet. We haven't really proven ourselves on the battlefield up to this point. Cause I guess stabbing an octopus underwater was not enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yuna is just like, okay, well I just want Titus nearby in whatever way. And everyone kind of gets taken aback by that little, little moments. Uh, but Lulu's like, okay, whatever. Like, we'll deal with this later. Like, I can't deal with you right now. Let's just go to the <laughs> temple. <laughs> um, we we get a quick little. I, I thought it was funny that this was the first time we get like a tutorial on what Kimari's whole deal is as mm-hmm. being, you know, like the blue mage, the um, the creature uh, ability absorbing character in the game. And honestly, this is once again, I have to stress this. Kimari is the most useless character in the party. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, just, yeah. yeah. He, he's oh. a gimmick. Like, he just doesn't, like, there's never a point in the game where it feels, like, strategically viable to have him instead of anybody else. Uh, you mean you don't want to throw out Lancet and see what you get? <laughs> the you don't on, want to guess on to, Lancet? The only reason I've, I've had to change to him so far is he has a passive scan. And that, just, like, I switch it to it back and forth in one turn to him to see how much more damage I've got to do to an enemy. Oh, I've already got scan you get on sensor Yuna weapons, and, yeah. and Weka, Waka. I don't have Weka. that yet. <laughs> There's such a weird dissonance with Kimari because, like, given his design, you know, he wields a giant spear. 
his, his animations, the way he looks in battle, the the hits he lands, he looks like he should be hitting a lot harder than he mm-hmm. usually does, yeah. depending on how you uh, how you build him up. But he just he looks like he should be strong, man. He's, he's mm-hmm. like this big beast man, bulging muscles, giant lance, and then he hits for like so little damage, and there's such a weird dissonance there. Like yeah. like Tita's so fast outpaces him in both speed and damage. Yes. Yeah. The only reason to have Kimari in your party ever is so you can level him up so you don't lose a certain thing that happens later on, and that's about it. That's like the one reason. And even then I like always get annoyed when I'm like, Oh, I guess I should have Kimari in for a little bit so he can level up and uh, Yeah. How did the this character would later go on to be the model for my favorite Dota character, and <laughs> that dissonance will never not make me laugh. But, I mean, Kamari's a cool character. I just, mechanically, right. I think he's just absolutely, like, a non-factor. Um, blue Mage always sucks. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Because Blue Mage, and it, yeah. At best, you're just doing the things that the creatures get to do, and the enemies very rarely get cool things to do. They just get very basic things to do, like, oh, he learned how to spit a seed at somebody. <laughs> like, we yeah. got Kamari a bag of daisy sunflower seeds, and he can just launch them at people now when his overdrive gauge is full. <laughs> it's not, yeah. Like, they, the equivalent that they have in Final Fantasy II is slightly more interesting to feel like it is a class. It is not something that you're having to, like... It's not something you have to dedicate a full character's time to. It's just something that you can switch to as needed. Because it's the gun mage in Tintu. I, I like that dress fear a lot, actually. And now I'm thinking about it, it's one of the ones that I use primarily. Um, but here, when you are, like, the, the whole, like, battle economy of this is who you have on the field at any given moment. Like, it's just, like, mm-hmm. there's not really ever a use for Kamari where, like, you know, earlier when we were fighting Sen, like, you have to have Waka because you need someone that can have ranged attacks. Kimari is a character who takes things from people but is never finding use for them himself. He takes but he doesn't give, you know. Yeah. It's this is the real problem with Kimari. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why he doesn't fall in love in this game. <laughs> <laughs> uh so we we keep moving ahead and we find an optional potentially mini boss, Lord Ochu, um which I always fight it it's Mm -hmm. kind of a weenie i like when i beat this thing every time i'm like man the crusaders really aren't like powerful this this is why they're not great at their jobs (laughs) yeah so this was the moment that i realized uh that there were no levels in the game because i was like okay well it's it's an optional boss it's sitting right there it must be like higher level and then i was like wait a minute what level am i and i went into the menu and i was like oh god there are no levels (laughs) There are no levels at all. Mm-hmm. What's happening here? Uh, and then, like, the weapons. I was like, wait, do the weapons have any, like, stats on them? No, they really don't. They just have the bonus. What? What's happening in this game? Mm-hmm. I, like, forgot that, that, like, the entire mechanical underpinning of this game, I forgot entirely. And Lord Ochu was the moment for me when I came back and I was like, oh, okay. But, yeah, I just slapped him down. He, he died very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Fire spell just ruins him. Yep. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because like as I've played more of this game, I've come to appreciate so much more like the way that the sphere the sphere grid frees up other parts of the game that you normally would have to be a little bit more beholden to, like 
having proper levels or having equipment that has like a specific damage number and stuff like that. Instead, like I feel there's a lot more freedom in what you're bringing into battle and what kind of effects it's giving you and how you're leveling up and what those level ups mean for each individual character because the spear grid lets you modify a lot of that stuff and, and do different things. And it feels like just a more interesting progression route that lets you shape these characters in more interesting ways than just having like, okay, well, you know, Yuna hit level 32. She gets to evolve into Yuna toys, Unisaur, whatever. <laughs> like, it's, uh, I, I dig that. Um, so we take out Lord Ochu. Easy peasy, no problem. We get to the steps of the temple. Uh, we have a funny little scene of of Waka. Um, he's, he's like, oh, we're going to do a race up the stairs because Lord O'Holland, who is a past summoner, was also a Blitzball player uh, on the side. And they're all going to run up the stairs. And then Yuna's like, all right, I'll count you off. Ready, set, and then just like, takes off of the Stand stairs forever. and we just go. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love her uh, so much. Which is which is a fun little moment. And of course with all little fun moments in this game, Sin shows up. <laughs> so ruins the party. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean like it's it's the running theme of this game, right? Like anything good that is happening in Spira will be interrupted by Sin. So here's Sin Spawn Geno, Gino, something like that. Sin spawn, wacky, inflatable tentacle arm man. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I dig this fight. I th- I thought that like you know of of all the boss fights in this section, this was probably my favorite, just because mm. it's the one that most requires you to really put into practice what you've learned so far about identifying different targets and taking them out and adjusting to how different targets react. Like, um, you know, it having a magic shield when the tentacles are out. So you have to take the tentacles down so you can hit it with the magic. So you can open the shell so you can start attacking it properly. Like there's a really cool, it it feels like a knowledge check in a very natural way. And I've always liked this boss fight a lot for that reason. Mm. I agree. Knowledge check is a great way to put it. It's just a, it's a good, clean boss fight that just requires. It's not. It's not unfair. It just requ- requires you to have paid attention to the mechanics up to that point and just play well. And mm-hmm. I like that about it. Mm. It's also kind of our proving ground, right, for for convincing the party that hey, maybe Tita's can handle a sword all right. Mm. You know, can right. fight decently. Um, and we kind of learn a little bit about what these sin spawn are, which is they're kind of cast offs of sin's body. Like Mm. they're pieces of sin that have been left behind, uh, like skin flakes, I guess (laughs) that, um, you know, they manifest into creatures and if left alone for too long, you know, maybe sin might come back for them, which we don't want that. So we got to get rid of these real quick. Um, and this is when Waka, suddenly asks like oh did xanarkand have fiends and titus is like oh yeah you know should we had them every once wait a minute what what are you saying (laughs) um right i like this part that waka comes around and is like oh you know maybe maybe it exists maybe xanarkand is real maybe what you're telling me is the truth Mm. but you quickly find out why he's thinking along those lines and it's because 
we finally learn uh, that Chapu um, died fighting Sin as part of the Crusaders, and Waka is starting to think along these lines because, hey, you know, maybe you know, victims of sin aren't dead. They just get like moved around to time. So maybe Chapu did that too. And Lulu shuts this mm-hmm. down. Yep. Like just so devastatingly fast. And she, the way she goes off where she's like, there's no replacement for Chapu or Sir Jekt or Lord Braska. We've all got to move on with what's going on. Get with the program. I'm going up these stairs. Like, <laughs> mm, yeah, it, it, it's a brutal moment, and you and you can, again, the the really the raw emotion comes through. It feels like a true, like a real character moment. She's not reacting that way because the script wants her to react that way. It feels like mm. this is a a lived in world that, that these people live in right. and have have suffered through. And I think just kind of to extrapolate a bit. That's one of my very favorite things about Final Fantasy X in general. It is the world and how lived in it feels, how, mm-hmm. how well detailed the culture and the religion and the doctrine and the mythology all are. And these feel like people living in a world that, uh, as was said earlier, is openly hostile to them. So Lulu doesn't react that way, at least to me, because that's what the lines in the script tell her to say. She reacts that mm. way because she lost someone. She knows exactly what Walk is trying to do, and she's right. pissed off about it. Yeah. Lulu's just brutal. Like throughout this whole <laughs> like really early is. part of the game just devastates Waka given the chance. It is yeah. oh. and Titus. Like it, it's barbed in such a way like there's like a clear resentment. Like it has been mm-hmm. like the through line between her and Waka and also like kind of her and Titus as well, despite the fact that he just like he's walked into something. Um and that they just kind of like you get the sense that like why she is so matter-of-fact with him. Why she, well, I mean, she's, granted, she's matter-of-fact with everybody, but, like, in a more, like, edged way, I think. Right. Yeah, it's like when he asks about the sending, she's, like... Exhausted by it? Yeah, she's just like, like, did you lose your mind? Like, you really are, like, cracked, mm. aren't you? And it's like, <laughs> damn, I mean, you already know he doesn't know anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> She's frustrated to have been left with Titus and be like, oh, I got to take care of this kid now. Got to answer all his dumb questions. Like, right. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and Waka pauses for a moment afterwards is like, you know, I just, he kind of wishes he could be more like Chapu and, um, you know, Titus gets the sense that there's something going on, but maybe this is not the best time to bring it up. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. put a pin in that for the future, uh, it, at the start of the Luca episode, we'll have a lot to talk about with uh, Lulu and Waka and Chapu. But um, we we get to the temple finally, and the Luca goers show up. The rival Blitzball team, the best in the world. Oh God, the Luca goers are such a good stereotype of like the the villains in any sports movie. It's <laughs> they later on. This is in Luca, but they do the psych out handshake and that is the most <laughs> sports villain thing in the world and i love it it's so cheesy and they're not here to, much they they're not here to pray up. for victory they're here to pray for competition yeah right yeah. i i think the only thing they're really missing is like this moment where you see like each of them and they get a name and they you get to see the one thing that they do on the team <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, you, you need like a uh and you need a moment where one of their fathers is like owns a car dealership or, or runs the law firm or something. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the Lucre Goers, um, your rival team that doesn't seem to care about the spirituality of it at all. Right. I mean, they're, they're there, they're coming out after, I assume, observing the rites, but otherwise they're not, they don't, like, they're just like, we're gonna crush you, punk. Like, we're back in Karate Kid 80s days or something. <laughs> right. I think it's like, to talk about the world building a little bit, and this is getting ahead of ourselves, but I'm I'm cheating here because I think this is maybe the best place to bring it up rather than in next episode, but I think it also reflects... You know, the difference between the Aurochs and the Goers reflects on the difference between how people live in this world, because we've seen where Besaid comes th- from. It's a very humble town with very humble origins, and they're just trying to get by day to day. Same with like the Kilika. But when we eventually go to Luca and see how people in Luca live, it looks like sin doesn't exist there at all. <laughs> like, it's the closest, probably one of the closest things we get to Xanarkand in. All, all of like, like you know Titus is Xanarkand in in all of this game and uh it's it's bizarre but it you know I think that's reflected here in oh here is this team of uh hot shot best in the world blitzball players and they just don't have any respect for the rights and stuff because they have not seen what the people in Kelica have seen mm. so often so it's it's a cool little bit of building that I think I, I was retroactively noticing playing back through this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. For, be, for being like, you know, so brash and, and just for being such assholes, the goers are, what a dumb name. Like, <laughs> what, what does that what mean a, to go? The, <laughs> the goers, I mean... like, shut up, really? Like, you're going to have an <laughs> attitude with a name like the goers? God, that always bothered me. And I'm like, this is the, the dumbest name you could possibly have chosen for your all-star team. Isn't there an actual, like, real-life sports team named the Goers? I hope not. I feel sorry there, for them. I'm sorry, if, I'm sorry, Goers fans, if so. I didn't know. No, the first thing I'm getting is the Luca Goers, so maybe not. But, okay. uh, yeah, for a minute, I was like, wait a minute. It, that sounds like it could be the name of, I don't know, maybe like a, a hockey team or something. Uh-huh. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, we... we go in and you know you know mentions like hey did you know that team back in the day and and he is like yeah you know it's there were all kinds of dudes like that ject included and that's when unit kind of pushes back is like no ject was a kind and gentle man and we're just mm-hmm. like nah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh which is it's it's fun it's funny but then we also run into the luca luca goers of summoners which is donna and uh <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I I always forget his name. Big boy. Oh, um, what's his Bar- name? Bartello? 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 Yeah. Yeah, Bartello. I always forget his name because I just see him as Big Boy. <laughs> like he's <laughs> my my one large son here to be my guardian. <laughs> <laughs> um, Donna is is very much like you know needles at Yuna. At you know Yuna's trying to be kind and nice, but uh, Donna's like, oh, you know you've got the legacy of Braska and uh, you have such a big uh, group following you. And Braska only needed two guardians. And Yuna's like, Oh, you know, I only have guardians as many people as I can trust. And more of them is to uh, have such an honor. And then Donna's like, Oh God, fine. Okay. I can't <laughs> get under her skin. I'm leaving. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Donna's in it for the mess, you know, <laughs> she's, she's looking for mess. Yeah. Um, uh, so we have to hang out for a bit, uh, because obviously Titus, not a guardian. We just kind of hang out in the temple, you know, kick, kick some rocks around, you know, stand about, you know, whatever. And then Donna shows up again. It's like, Hey, you know, where's, uh, where's Ina? What's going on? And, uh, as, as we're explaining, uh, Bartello puts Titus on the elevator and just turns that thing on. And I guess the elevator that goes down doesn't go back up. I, I don't know what the situation was there. Why Titus wasn't just like, I'm going to go back up the elevator. I guess the reason <laughs> was I'm down here. I might as well go through the cloister of trials, but well, again, and Titus does, enough. as I kind of touched on earlier, Titus does seem to be a little bit just standoffish about the whole, you know, he, he doesn't mm-hmm. really, he, he's not a religious guy. He's never had to, you know, really reckon with, that kind of religious dogma. So I think it doesn't really register to him just how important and immutable those rules really are to the people of Spira. And he gets an opportunity to play with fire orbs and he's not going to pass that up. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Cloister of trials, still the cloister of trials. We're not anywhere near the more interesting cloisters yet. More frustrating cloisters yet. I know. This might as well be the same as the first one. Right. Yeah. Like, okay, whatever. It's the one where I was most frustrated with Titus for not carrying more than one orb at a time because there's like 14 Kilika orbs down here. You have like, two hands. Yeah, Pick like up an orb in the other hand. I know. Just freaking toss some of them. Just be like, you know what? I'm just going to throw this to the... Because there were some that you just have to like put in a pedestal just so that they're not taking up a slot anymore. And it's like, oh, that, that was the annoying one where I was like, just toss it to the side. Who cares? You, you do not give a shit about any of these rights but, and but stuff. But this is so precious to you all of a sudden. You can't but just put it on the ground. one orb at a time. That's the only rule Titus follows. One orb at a time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, we, we get through. And obviously everyone's a little ticked at us. Uh, they, you know, they point out that Yuna is going to catch the heat for what's happened. Even if Donna and Bartello were the ones who put us on the elevator. But, you know. It is what it is. Um, so we vibe for a little bit. We get we find out what the faith are, or at least a little bit more about the faith. They're they're people who gave their lives, kind of gave themselves up as sacrifices to become uh, the the summons that could battle sin and the summoner's prayer to pray to each one of them on the pilgrimage. Uh, and thankfully, it doesn't take Yuna a whole day to figure this one out. She she comes out pretty quick. Um, and this is, so I was, this was the part that I thought was in the last episode, Ken, Mm. but was actually in this episode where Titus mentions that the hymn was a song from his childhood. This is where they mentioned it. I thought it was in the last temple that they mentioned it, but it was here. It was here. Yeah. You were on top Mm. of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah, we, we head on back outside. We're, we're getting seen off We're we're getting back onto the ship. Uh, and then we have a flashback. Uh, Titus uh, is, is starting to feel a way about Xanarkand and stuff. Um, and he wants to scream. He just wants to scream. And, and so he does. Yep. And he does. You know, Titus not good at ha- handling his emotions all the time. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, this, this is kind of where we just get told like, hey, you know, we're about to set sail for Luca. So this is, you know, rest up, get prepared, all that. We'll, 
when you get on the ship we're headed off to Luca. And that's where our episode ends, kind of a little anticlimactically, because that's how these cuts work early on, at least. But um, that was Kilika, and a whole lot of stuff happened there. A whole lot of suffering, a whole lot of rituals and sadness and annoying sports teams. But <laughs> I guess we'll start with Ash. You know, what was it like for you coming back to Final Fantasy X and like revisiting some of this stuff? And how are you feeling about this game like nowadays versus when you originally played it? Um, I, I still love it. I love this game for many of the reasons I kind of already mentioned just in, in terms of the just how lived in Spira feels. It feels like a mm-hmm. real place with, with people who really have lived full lives there uh, under the thumb of sin and the, the suffering and the, the mythology, it feels real. And I love the feeling of going on a, on a genuine pilgrimage that, that feels like it really matters. You, you, this, you, again, Kilika is, are, the, the events in Kilika are really what first set the true stakes, really show you the true stakes of the, their pilgrimage being successful. And I love FF10 to this day. And, and just revisiting it you know, here in this conversation with you has just kind of reminded me of all the reasons why I love it. Um, cl- clearly, there are certain ways in which it hasn't aged perfectly gracefully you know the cutscene animations are a little stilted the voice acting can be a bit uneven you know the laughing scene i'm looking at you um you know there are there are things oh sorry that scene is perfect and wonderful and good (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean i there are things to criticize about ff10 for sure but for for my money it's still my favorite game in the series um i i love this game and uh, something you mentioned about titus not always being good at controlling his emotions kind of sparked another reason in me why I really like this character, and that is exactly what you said. He's not good at controlling his emotions, which is not something that is a popular feature of male characters or mm-hmm. men in real life, you know, mm-hmm. but he goes in the opposite mm-hmm. direction. He's toxic. He's toxic in his own way at the beginning because he's this brash sports star who loves himself, but he's also very emotional. And he's not toxically masculine. He's not pushing his, mm-hmm. you know, emotions down. He's not unwilling to feel. He's not unwilling to cry. No, this is a this is a, a guy who is perfectly capable and willing to outwardly feel the emotions he feels. And I think that's refreshing. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. it's something I can relate to. I'm a pretty emotional guy myself, and I feel like I relate to that. So that's just another reason I I, I really like this character, and I feel like he he often gets short shrift. I I mm-hmm. so many people love to dunk on Titus, and I get that there are reasons to do so, but I don't think that, uh, that enough, uh, enough attention is paid to the ways in which he grows and some of the more mm-hmm. interesting and subversive aspects of his character. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's just refreshing to not have a Final Fantasy character, like, protagonist that is just, like, stoic the entire way through. Right. Those, those are the ones that are, like, considered, like, the classics, like, you know, your squalls, your clouds, your lightnings, and I'm just like, I... I mean, Titus isn't even my, my favorite, like, quote-unquote protagonist of the Final Fantasy X series unit is, and yeah, I still, as like... As well. Oh, for sure. And um, and I still just kind of, like, admire that about him, is that, like, he is so, like, you know, he's not this, you know, quiet, badass character that, like, he's, he's a kid who doesn't... He fumbles the second he gets his first sword, and, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, like, I, I, I think that might play into, like, some of the... Uh, more harsh criticisms of him is that he is not your standard Final Fantasy protagonist, and I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I think you're right, and I also like that. And and this is of course something that that will be you know covered more later on. But I really, really love how organic 
and meaningful the relationship and the romance between Titus and Yuna feels. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel as though they develop feelings for one another because they're RPG, RPG protagonists, and thus they must develop feelings for each other. It feels right. like they, they, you know, fall in love and and become closer because of the organic nature of who they are, their shared experiences mm-hmm. with famous fathers and, and you know, the pressure that that entails. And they feel like people who would realistically, you know, fall for one another because mm-hmm. they can relate to each other. And I think that's really mm-hmm. refreshing. Right. Yep, yep. Mike, what about you? What, what's what's your re-entry into Final Fantasy X been like? Uh, Character-wise, I'm, I'm pretty much where I was uh, back in the day when I first played it. Like I said, I, I like Titus. I think he's probably one of the better uh, protagonists around here. I didn't particularly like Squall. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Final Fantasy IX. Uh, and Twelve. Uh, is one of my favorite games in the series, but I don't like Vaughn all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so for for my money, uh, Titus is probably one of my favorite. Yeah, like he just grows over the course of this game, uh, and then it, it even kind of works uh, heading into the next game, like where where that character and some of these other characters go. Uh, mechanically i forgot everything about this game so like coming back to coming back to that was like a, a rude awakening i was just like oh my god what's happening here um whereas like i feel like i remember more of ff8 and ff12 mechanically um this one i remember more the story and the mm. characters mm-hmm. that's a good story it's good characters i mean like I, I'm glad we we got so much time to talk about Titus here because, like, again, looking at other Final Fantasies and and this Kilika segment in particular, I think this is the moment. You know, you look at Final Fantasy 15, you've got Noctis, and Noctis has that big moment where it's like, oh, it's, terrible things have happened, and you've got to become much more emotionally mature than you've been in the past. But not only have you not really established any attachment to any of the things that Noctis had attachment to, but also you don't really have a lot of attachment to Noctis at that moment either. You don't really right. have a sense for who he's been and who he has to become. Whereas Titus here, like in, in rapid fire succession, like we've been given sorrow that we can relate to. We've been given a change in scenery that is jarring for us as much as it is for the main character. And we've seen the difference between the life that Titus used to live and the life that Titus has to live now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of it kind of culminating in that one scream is is really good. Because, I mean, I think we've gotten here to this point where now, you know, Besaid was jarring, you know, out of place, weird. Is isekai the word that you use for that, Mike? Weigh in on this. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an isekai. That's, as far as he's concerned... He was in one world, and now he is in a fantasy world. Right. It's and, isekai. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so he's he's been he's been isekai'd, but you know it's Besaid. You know it's a tropical island. Everyone's playing bullets ball, having a good time. There's a cute girl coming out of the temple. Like there's all kinds of good stuff happening on Besaid, and then Kilika comes, 
and it's just death and ruin and destruction and sorrow and sadness and some of the worst people you meet early on like everyone in Besaid except for that one lady who wants you to stay away from the summer <laughs> is like besides her everybody in Besaid is super nice and cool but all, you know you meet Donna and the Luca goers all in rapid fire succession in Kilika and you're just seeing like Oh, this is not all roses and happiness in here. This is like this is this is going to be bad. And Titus has to come to that realization that not only is he like here, but as as I think we start the threads of here and get into as we get into Luca, like he's going to be here for a while. This is not like a dream he's just going to snap out of. Like he's he's here now. And I think some of that is just really starting to set in. He is like having emotional hooks tied down to Spira now. And yeah, it's, I mean, I honestly like going into this week, I was like, Oh, you know, Killick is kind of a short section. I don't know if we're going to have much to talk about. And I came out, I'm, I'm coming out of it now at the end here where I'm like, wow, this is actually like a pretty big character development episode mm. where we have learned a lot yeah. about our characters and moved forward and stuff. So thank y'all for for taking us on that journey with you and and being part of that journey um as always we are normandy fm we are a retrospective podcast we have covered mass effect dragon age jade empire the last of us and now we are currently on final fantasy 10 we are airing every other week for the sanity of both ken and myself as we are currently (laughs) launching right into the middle of game release season and Oh Lord, they're already coming in by the dozens. So uh, this this is our current episode, Kilika. Next week will be Luca. The next episode will be Luca. Uh, I think we can just go ahead and confirm who that's going to be, right, Ken? We can just say right go out, we're, we're set. Uh, John Warren will be returning to talk Luca. We're very excited for that. Uh, he has already messaged about the sports takes and the blitzball takes, so it's going to be a very fun episode. <laughs> nice. Um, but uh yeah as always you know we have a patreon that helps us keep the lights on uh afford some of the you know we had to go buy some of these games that we've played and stuff in the past that helps as well as the soundcloud hosting costs and all that so you can go back us there any amount gets you into the backer discord where we hang out and chat if you back at the next level you get the episodes as soon as ken is done editing them and at the highest level you get your name shouted out every week on the podcast this week that list is kevin kulikowski chris johns colin just colin just the wedge of destiny zach james and kevin hucks thank you all so much for contributing and helping keep this stuff going Mike, where can the people at home find all the wonderful stuff you do? You can find me every single day spouting nonsense on Twitter at AutomaticZen, Z-E-N, and you can now find me at Fanbyte.com. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Ash, where can all the people at home find all the wonderful stuff that you do? Uh, well, well, once like I said, I am the creator and a co-founder of Good Vibes Gaming. You can find us on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash gvgofficial. We're also fully Patreon-funded. You can find us on patreon.com slash gvgaming, where we offer a variety of tiers to get involved with us. Uh, one of our most popular tiers is $5 a month. Uh, it's our live audience tier, where you can uh, participate in a patron-exclusive chat during our three days a week news show, Today's News Tonight. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, like your Patreon, every uh, backing as any tier gets you access to our exclusive Discord where you can hang out with us, chat. It's a lot of fun. And you can find me on Twitter at Ash Paulson. That's A-S-H 
P-A-U-L-S-E-N, and come follow me on Twitter for lots of chatter about video games and video game music, food, and dogs. Uh, a lot a lot of those things are on my Twitter. So, uh, yeah, come, come follow me on Twitter. We'll talk there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but thank you. Uh, thank you guys again for having me. This has been a blast, and I would love to do it again anytime. It was wonderful to have both of y'all on. You know, it's we we love to to have some awesome folks on to talk some stuff about what we're playing, and you know, it's it's always fun to have a nice little roundabout about a game that is now like twenty years old. Before we go, before we're out, we did have one last minute addition to the the top tier backers, Mercedes Cluis. Thank you so much for joining that nice. list. You you are not we did not forget you this week. <laughs> so <laughs> you are you are on the list. But for everyone, for Mike, for Ash, for Ken, for myself, we will see you all next time on Normandy FM. <laughs>